0: Tired. so tired over-tired. you're listening to overtired I'm Christina Warren here as always with Brett chirpstra Brett how are you
1: I'm I'm swell I'm swell Christina how are you
0: <laughs> I'm fine I'm fine uh, you're swell is that like a sarcastic swell is that like a um a genuine swell is that like a maybe so, swell so swell swell means
1: means okay it means like I guess what most people would say Okay. Uh, well, most people just say I'm good if you ask them how they're doing. But I've yeah, never, I've never been down with that. Like, if you ask me how I'm doing, I'm either going to be awesome, which means like I'm good. I I I use hyperbole when answering this question. Uh, if I'm just okay, and you know, I'm 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 swell, and if I'm bad, I will fucking tell you about it.
0: I really appreciate your honesty <laughs> in answering that question because I often am not like I, I'm, you know, people are like, how are you? And I'm usually like, I'm good. I'm fine. Even if I'm like hit by a car, like, you know, bleeding like whatever, I'm going to be like, I'm fine. I'm a wasp. Like, this is what we do. Like, that's like the probably waspiest thing about me is, is the, uh, you know, like need to say that you're fine, even when you're not.
1: Yeah. I'll tell you, like, if you're in a Zoom meeting and the host says, how are you guys doing today? If your answer is so awesome, it changes the mood of the meeting. Huh. Just try that. Next time someone starts a meeting off like that, just go off mute and be like, I am so awesome. And don't answer any follow-up questions. Life hacks.
0: I like it. I like it. Uh, okay. So that's actually a good segue into Brett's mental health corner. Any updates there?
1: Um. So what day was it? Did, yeah, I was a little manic, right? Last time we, last time we recorded. Yeah. yeah that's right. Yeah. I had not slept. So that lasted all of one day. Um, and I've been, I haven't been depressed yet. Um. I guess, I guess I have this impending feel, this, Feeling of impending doom, like it's gonna get depression. Uh, it, uh, it's gonna get depression. Uh, that like the right. The depression is coming. Yes,
0: the looming like influence of like yes, it's it's coming.
1: It's gonna be shitty because work right now is super stressful, and they like I have a project that I've been working on pretty much since I started, and I had finished it. And when I presented it, they were like, this looks great, except let's do everything different. <laughs> and yes. like completely pulled the rug out from under me, moved the goalpost down the field. So now I'm scrambling. I'm like, oh my God, I'm going to need, this is, I need two weeks. And they're like, can you do it in a few days? And I'm like, I will try. And then yesterday my boss is like, hey, so how about tomorrow? And, <gasps> and I... So I've been working on it all day today, nonstop. I think, I think I did it. I think I did it. I think I did two weeks worth of work in two days. And, and I deserve a raise. But if it's not good enough and I hit a depression and am not able to focus like this, I'm going to be fucked.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think at that point, like you told them, you know, I need the time um before that you delivered something and then they changed the deliverables on you and you had to go back and and scurry to to make stuff up i mean look it'll get done or it won't i've become very uh niche about this sort of thing
1: you know what's nice though is if this were a freelance job there would be all this like renegotiation and everything and like i i would be concerned about how over budget we're going but when you have a day job in your salary You're already getting paid for this. Like, you just kind of have to roll with it. But it's not like, it's not a whole renegotiation thing.
0: No, exactly. It's just one of those, like, again, like I said, it's like, you're either going to be able to, it's either going to be ready or it's not. Like, it's it's a very simple thing.
1: What's shitty, though, is that, so my i'm on the devrel team and and i'm a tech writer and my right. team has been tasked with originally 150 pieces of new content for the year and that was just bumped to 170 because somehow quantity is going to matter more than quality and a good portion of that content can't be published Like I'm, my project is to develop the pipeline and the platform for publishing that content. So until my project is done, we're not making any progress on what, uh, KPIs, which I'm told are key progress indicators.
0: Right. Or performance indicators. Yes. Yes.
1: Yeah. That, yeah. Key performance indicators. Like this is all, I have to ask every meeting. I have to ask, what does that mean? Um, but, like, I, we can't get any KPIs marked off until I finish my project. So, it's not a it's not a, a, a good one for if it gets done, it gets done. It's like everyone is depending well, on no,
0: it. Well, no, you need to get it done, but it is also one of those things. If it's not going to be done tomorrow, or if it's going to be done tomorrow, but you're still going to need a couple of days back and forth on it, like, you can't, I mean... Sh- there are only so many hours in the day, right? Like sometimes you have really hard deadlines. Like this is, you know, like we have an event and it is taking place tomorrow at this time. Or like, like your, uh, the, the F1, um, launch, right? Like we've already announced this, this has to be live on the page. Yeah. But sometimes, I mean, like this is something that, you have something that's ready to go. You have the pipeline there. There will more than likely be changes even after things start oh, going for on. Sure. Back. for you sure. For sure. Like, right. we're going to have
1: MVP, minimum viable product, uh, yep. to get this out the door. It's going to be iterated for a long time. Uh, like, my biggest obstacle right now is making it iteratable. Like, planning so it can scale. Because <laughs> I, I can make a Jekyll site to run my own shit, no problem. But right. to, to make a Jekyll site that can have contribute like a hundred different contributors and be able to flex yeah. with all the structural changes that'll happen, that takes a lot more planning.
0: Yeah, no, it does. I mean, I I I only know insofar as like I know that like our, our doc site um is, you know, it basically it's kind of run by by GitHub and Markdown and and anybody can file an issue. You know, if they see something with the doc and, and they can make a, uh, you know, they, they can either, uh, you know, file like an issue if there's a problem or they can file a PR yeah. if they want to make a correction or whatever. But I mean, and I don't even know a ton about our infrastructure, but I know that it's, you know, like complex. I in do terms that, of I do that do with it. the
1: documentation for Bunch. Like the Bunch code is a private repo. That's just for me. Um, But the documentation I made into a public repository when people find something confusing or want to add something, they just make pull requests and it's super handy to open source that kind of stuff.
0: Yeah, totally. Totally. I mean, and that's, that's something that um, um, like the docs team has done, but I know that it, even it took them, I mean, I've been there for four years. And so I joined a little bit after they'd already kind of started their overhaul of everything. But I know that you know, they're, they're still iterating things and they have, you know, plugins and tools and stuff. And, um, when we add new things to the platform, like Microsoft learn, which, you know, are like these video component, like lessons, like that sort of thing, like that had to have a whole new template, um, and, and had a whole new, you know, like thing in terms of how you submit stuff to it. And yeah, there, there can be lots of stuff, but I I have comp, I have faith that that you are going to have done what you need done. And
1: here's what I'm debating though, is Okay, so when I when I went through the onboarding, one of the questions in one of the many forms I filled out was, Do you have a disability? And mm-hmm. it listed examples of disabilities and it included bipolar. And it also said that disabilities are protected and they want to yep. know about them because they actually legally have to have so many people with disabilities. Sure so so I, I went ahead and said I have a disability and I'm debating if if depression kicks in. And I'm unable to complete a high-pressure task, I might just go, I might just talk to my manager and see if uh, if he understands that bipolar is going to get in my way.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think that it's, I think the hard thing with you is that it's unpredictable. So you don't know when it's going to hit. But I do feel like if it is, like, if you feel like you're in the place where I'm not going to meet this deadline because of this. Yeah, I think you need to have a conversation. Like
1: I don't want to I don't want it to be seen as like I'm making excuses and I have this no, like card I can absolutely. play anytime I want to. I'm just like I No, 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 I, I and want I don't think to anybody will see valid. that.
0: No, and I don't think anybody will see it that way. I think that it's just one of those things where you have to be like, okay. If you know um it, and and I and I think it's one of those things you don't want to preemptively say. I think it's one of those things where in the event that let's say that that you were like, we have to have this thing done. Um, and, and you for some reason felt like you weren't able to do it, then you need to just communicate why so that they can make alternative arrangements. Like your bus factor, I'm sure is a uh, bus factor, meaning like, uh, how likely is this to like completely die if Fred is hit by a bus tomorrow?
1: Ah, I like um, that.
0: Um, like, you know, would it be, uh, frustrating and annoying and bad? Yeah. But like, Ideally, none of us should, should be like that high of a bus factor where like everything stops. You know what I mean? Yeah.
1: Yeah. No, I've always gone out of my way to make sure that if I disappear just for whatever reason, I like the idea of a bus, bus factor. I like that terminology. But I've always gone out of my way to make sure everything I do is documented. Someone else has their finger on the pulse of what I'm doing right. and I can disappear anytime I want to. Like, that's a sense of freedom for me.
0: It is. It is. I mean, some people and I will admit, like, for myself, this was a hard thing to kind of come to terms with. But like, we're all replaceable and there is something freeing, I think, when you like realize that it's like, no. Life will go on if I'm not here, the work will be done. it might not be as good, it might be different, but the work will get done yeah and it's just a matter of making sure that it's documented and that you're communicating properly <laughs> where I've made mistakes before is I haven't communicated when I wasn't going to be ready for something and and that's not a good thing so I think communicate when you know I'm not going to hit this um, I like I wouldn't do like a preemptive heads up because that might set expectations that can't be relied on, and that's not accurate. Uh, but you know, being able to be preemptive and be, but like being able to say, like, if you know what's happening and it's coming, it's like, hey, I'm going to need help on this, and yeah. that's a thing too, right? Like, this is the nice thing about the fact that you work for a company now and you work on a team is you're not an island. Like you were an island for so long, you had to rely on yourself, and you didn't have anybody else to be able to count on. Um, even if you are working on your own projects, you're not the only person so there's there's freedom in that, too, and knowing, hey, like it isn't all on me,
1: oh my God, I don't think I told you who the new new person that got hired to my team is no, you didn't it, I want you to guess it's someone from our past,
0: um, is it Victor?
1: It is Damn, ah! that was really good,
0: okay. so the reason I knew is because you told me that Victor had introduced you to the guy, yeah who got you on the job. So that was why I was thinking that. Oh, my God, that's awesome. I know yeah. he's been like, he's been doing his own thing for a while now. And
1: well, and he got into really good. he was working with a startup and and as startups are want to do, they screwed him. And then he yep. suddenly regretted not taking the job that he got me uh, or like that. He got me in the door for and uh, he came back and and our manager was super excited. Like he loves Victor so much. Well, Victor's Um,
0: great. I mean, this is is. awesome. I'm really, I'm so happy about this because I know like, yeah, like this is really good and this is going to be really good for Victor. That's so exciting.
1: Yes. We're we're, going to be a big, it'll be me, Aaron and Victor. We'll be the writers and uh, (laughs) maybe we should have Victor on the podcast too.
0: Oh my God. Victor would be great to have on the podcast. Next
1: next week. We'll see how it goes. Um, Yeah. But yeah, uh, Victor and and I'm excited because Victor is someone that I trust with like uh, editing, like in the same voice that the rest of us are using. So Mm -hmm. like he's perfectly capable. Aaron and I have like documented and worked on like a style guide, basically. Yes,
0: yeah, yeah. Because you need to have like a a consistent voice.
1: Victor, as a former editor in chief and and a good writer, uh, he's going to fit right into that.
0: Yeah, no, he's going to be great, and um, uh, that's so awesome. So, for for listeners out there who don't know Brett and I's background, we oh, met probably should have. Yeah. yeah, so so yeah, so so I'm just uh, uh putting this other. So okay, so 14 years ago, in 2007, uh, Brett and I both started writing for a blog uh, that used to exist called the Unofficial Apple Weblog, or TUAW, and that was honestly the beginning of my career. And um, so much of, uh, well, I guess the real beginning was was I had a gig with USA Today um, uh, that spring, but that was the beginning of my tech writing career. And um, you joined a couple months after me, but not that long after. And Victor was our boss at TUAW and a download squad. Uh, he was the like, site producer for both of those sites. And we, wrote, we both of us were at both of those sites. Um, and then Brett ended up going on to work at the dev team at AOL, um, and, and I wound up going to Mashable, but, um, but Victor uh, was our boss and is just a really great guy. And, um, so this is, this is, that's awesome. I'm really excited about this.
1: Victor is, uh, it has, he has, um, varied, very varied interests and yes. a, a lot of it, like he's just, he's into magic. He's into puppets.
0: He's into puppets. He's into stand-up <laughs> comedy. Like, like Victor is... Stand-up comedy, but a,
1: he's also dark, and that's what I really appreciate about
0: yeah. him. Yeah, he's dark, he's funny, he's eclectic. That was the really great thing about those old house yawn, like, blogging days, um, which don't exist anymore, uh, really, for lots of reasons, uh, which it is what it is. I mean, I, I think it's probably largely a good thing. I look back on that time, and I was able to do the very rare thing which was turn a ten dollar a post blogging gig into like a full-time six-figure salary um as a as a journalist uh most people didn't do that but um uh it was one of these it was this great period of time where you had people who were good writers they weren't necessarily professionals but they were passionate about what they were doing and because the old media hadn't caught up with what was happening with digital yet you had opportunity for a really big audience of, of people who were interested in what you did. And so I feel like the talent that we had at TUAW and at Download Squad and at the other um, Weblog Zinc sites, like we had a really nice, like mix of just eclectic, interesting people who were really passionate about what they were writing about, which is not the case always um, with, with professional journalists. Like some people are really passionate about their beat. Some people, it's just, this is the job, it's you a know, job. like it's a gig. I, I, I was assigned to cover this and I'm a writer first well, and so, I'm going to figure this out.
1: Yeah. Like this, I, all was my first, uh, like professional blogging gig and I did not read. So weblogs was built on this idea that you pay a little for like quick content. Yeah. And so basically, if you wrote a post for Tua or Download Squad, you got paid 10 bucks, mm-hmm. which is I mean, shit. And I didn't it's know shit. it at the time until I wrote for like, uh, like Lifehacker and right. found out that they pay 10 times as much for even a short post. Right. I didn't realize how bad that pay was until I, until I moved on.
0: Yeah, yeah, no. And that was a time when you could, it was actually kind of amazing in some cases to get paid at all because everyone was doing blogs. But it was one of those things where it was like, unless you were working for an establishment place, people were just trying to make it work. So like a lot of people were starting their own blogs, like Mashable, where I worked for seven years, like Pete started it. He was in, he was 19. He was in his parents' bedroom in Aberdeen, Scotland. And he was just like, I'm really into this Web 2.0 shit. So I'm just going to start a blog. And then it you know turned into to a business um and and he's a millionaire now, which good for him. um I am trying not to be salty um but uh, but he built it into a real business, even though it didn't quite end the way uh, you know we would have wanted it's still around, still doing its thing and um. But the Weblogs model, because AOL bought it a couple months before we joined. And and so that was kind of like, there was like this big war between like Weblogs, Inc. and Gawker. Because the Gawker sites, although they did have some salaried employees, a lot of it was also paper post. And, um you know, you were you were just getting out there. You were just like creating. You were just trying to like get your name out there. You were just trying to kind of like hustle and, and, and do it. And yeah, like you said, the money was nothing. Um, I always treated it because it, for you, it wasn't like your main gig. For me, it was, and I didn't make enough to pay anything <laughs> on that. Right. Like I, I, you know what I mean. Like I was still like have how to, like, many posts could you
1: possibly like? There's no way you could write enough no way. posts in a month to pay rent on ten bucks a post.
0: Absolutely not. And I would get an additional fee for doing some of the video stuff and like features. You would get a little bit more, but no. I mean, I think at like max, I was probably able to get in like eight hundred bucks a month or something, which. You know, and that was like if I'm working across three sites and that's I'm like working my ass off, right? Like I'm not making shit. Um, I was young enough and naive enough that I looked at it and I was like, look, I'm a really good writer. I don't have the, the pedigree in terms of like I, have, I don't have a, a graduate degree in journalism. I don't go to Columbia um, or NYU. I'm not going to be able to get a job at Condé Nast, even though I'm better than their writers, right? Like I knew that, I was like, I'm not getting an internship at a magazine and I'm not getting an internship at at a newspaper that will pay anything. So I have to build this brand myself. And then the hope was, at least for me, the hope was, I was like, if I can do well at this, then someone else will be able to pick me up and pay me. And and I was really lucky because first what happened was that AMC, the movie chain, signed me on a contract where they paid me $1,500 a month for, for blogging um certain number of stories a day i would do it in the morning and it was really easy work um almost no original reporting and then mashable hired me um in uh, august of 2009 and and their the, their starting salary was like $48,000 a year which at that time in my life like imagine going from like not making $800 a month to suddenly like you know actually having enough money for totally. rent and stuff it was it was life-changing um but i got really lucky because in retrospect like I, I look back and i'm like god how how was i so naive that i just assumed okay if i just do this for a couple of years enough people are gonna like me i'm gonna be called up to the big leagues i mean
1: yeah that's what i was gonna say was you were talking about like being passionate about your beat and for the short period where i wrote for Hacker. yeah i, I was, I just kept getting handed stories that I did not give a shit about. Yeah. And, and I would write my, you know, 200 to 700 words, whatever it called for. And I would just be bullshitting just like to fill word count because I don't care. I just, I just was trying not to, you know, those posts that you actually express an opinion in, and then Mm -hmm. you get like just vicious reader feedback. Yes. Um, I was trying to avoid that because it was one of the largest platforms I had blogged on.
0: Yeah. And, and the the Lifehacker commenters were certainly nicer.
1: Oh, for sure. Than on
0: the other sites. But that community, like I remember when I first started at Gizmodo, which was, you know, a couple weeks before Gawker formally ended. And so already the commenters were angry and freaking out and taking it out on the people who's fault it definitely was not, right? It's like, the commenters are all worried about where they're going to go. And we're like, look, we don't know who's going to buy us. We just hope we're still employed, right? Right. But so you have like a um, in in some of the sites, all the sites have their own communities of readers. Um, it's less now because the the company that that bought all those properties from Univision has just done such a piss poor job of everything and, and morale there isn't an all-time low. But you know, you have like this community of of commenters and and they feel like a certain ownership of things. And some of them are mean. Some of them are like really mean. Lifehacker tends to be nice. The Jalopnik people tended to be nice too. The the Gizmodo people could be brutal. And, and so when I first joined, they were like, you don't have to sign up. You don't have to respond to comments, whatever. I was like, dude, put me in coach. I'm here for it, right? I was like so ganged up because like, I love, I love a fight. Um, but uh also, in, uh, fortunately for me, very rarely, I mean, I would get the typical like, like, shut up cunt stuff, but like, it was actually more, it was less common than you would think. Like, I, I felt bad because some of the other writers got it so much worse than me. And like, I was newer and I'm like, okay, they're being nice to me, I guess. I remember there was one time though, I did like, this was actually really funny because it sort of went viral, but my, my reply sort of went viral on another platform. So I was in a car. Um, I was late to work, and so I didn't take the subway. I took like an Uber. And I um, had written like this exhaustive comparison review of a bunch of different laptops, and I made a video for it. And, and I had said basically that the, the, the Dell wound up came, coming out like better than, than the MacBook at the time in terms of like all around. Like if you don't rely on mac os like in terms of, of, of features the uh, price battery life whatever like it it came up better and it surprised me and some commenter was like you know all you are is a reviewer you don't know anything about sup- repair support costs or any of this or that and and so i just kind of like jotted off an email and i was like actually i was a support tech in in college and i've been certified to work on apple things and i've done actual pc repair and whatnot and just like kind of listed things off and it was just you know like I I didn't I wasn't even that mean it was just kind of like one of those things and somehow like my response to this guy trying to mansplain me and tell me I didn't know how to do my job like someone um screenshotted it and put it on twitter and then like it became popular and it was so funny because I remember getting um like slacks from people who didn't even work an editorial like from product people like from women in product who were like thank you so much for saying that this is so awesome to be people stand up to this and the commenters just like ate him alive and that was actually that's one of my favorite memories of the comments of that era was just them like eating him alive and then he tried to come back and like backtrack it and be like oh no i wasn't saying and they all like just came after him for that and then he was like i'm sorry christina it was having been a day
1: <laughs> yeah it was very funny yeah which
0: which you know that's it's nice when that happens, but it's also funny. It's nice to be in a world where, like, you don't have to deal with that. Like, I—I I mean, I do on YouTube comments sometimes, but but in general, most people are very nice in uh in corporate deaf rel versus vicious commenters on the internet.
1: I, uh, I, I I I called the commenter a dick once in a response, and then immediately I apologized for it. And yeah, their response was, "Yeah, no, I'm sorry, I was having a bad day." So now. Anytime I read a mean email or a mean comment, I just go ahead and, like, give myself that response in advance. I just assume they're having a bad day. Yeah. Especially with customer supports, because that's totally different. Like, you have oh, to be polite totally customer different. support. You
0: do. You do. Like, like it, it's one of those things where it's just, it's, uh, yeah, Um, you, you can't, um, Yeah. Uh, you you have to be like above it and it sucks. Although like it gets to the point where obviously if people are cursing at you or saying other things, you have the right to be like, I'm not going to talk anymore, but yeah, you have to be the bigger person.
1: So I want to tell you about my customer support experience with the New York times, but I'm going to tell you about ritual protein first. Yes, please do. So, uh, because we have to, we have to keep the lights on people. This is, we do, this is for everybody's good. Um, Protein powders can feel intimidating with all that no pain, no gain stuff associated with them. But the truth is, deep down, like cellular level deep, we all need protein and it's about more than just muscles. Ritual's team of scientists reimagined protein from the ground up and from the inside out, from how it's made to who it's for. The result is a delicious plant-based protein offered in three premium formulations for distinct life stages and unique nutrient needs all made with the same high standards approach and commitment to traceability that Ritual is known for. Whether you're doing reps or you're just more into dog walks, Ritual is introducing essential protein here to shake things up. I haven't had as much time as I'd like to cook lately. I make dinner almost every night, but lunch, that's a totally different story. I've been using Ritual as a meal replacement for my lunches, getting the protein and the nutrition I need so I don't feel hungry, And I still have time to enjoy my lunch break. And now that I'm actually on the clock with a meeting schedule, that's a lifesaver. And I've used pea protein in the past. And making it taste good is nearly impossible. So props to Ritual on making pea protein taste not at all like pea protein. And they did it with no added sugar or sugar alcohols. The trick is handcrafted vanilla flavor made with a direct-from-farmer vanilla bean extract sustainably harvested in Madagascar, and I know this because of the visible supply chain. You always know what's in their formulas, where the ingredients come from, and why they're included. Essential protein comes in clean, plant-based formulas specifically created to support nutrient needs of different life stages like 18+, plus, pregnancy and postpartum, and 50+. plus. 20 grams of pea protein plus a complete amino acid profile Made with essential choline, like all Ritual products, essential protein is soy-free, gluten-free, and formulated with non-GMO ingredients. So, why not shake up your Ritual? To make trying something new less scary, Ritual offers a money-back guarantee if you're not 100% in love. Plus, our listeners get 10% off during your first three months. Just visit ritual.com overtired to add essential protein today. That's ritual.com slash overtired. Thanks to Ritual for their continued support of Overtired and our weirdness.
0: Yes. Thank you so much, Ritual.
1: So I tried to cancel my New York Times subscription.
0: <sighs> oh, no. Yeah. I've done this. Tell me about it. So, it,
1: okay. So I was paying 17 bucks a month for the New York Times,
0: which is too much. You it, can get a better deal. Go on.
1: Yes. So that I. I don't read it enough to justify 20 bucks a month. So I go to cancel and you have two options. You can call a phone call. number mm-hmm. or you can do a live chat. You can't just click cancel my subscription. No, you can't. So I I do the live chat and I get this. Hi, how can I help you? Blah, blah, blah. And I said, please cancel my subscription. And oh, I'm sorry to see you. I'm sorry to hear you want to go. Can I ask why? And I'm. I wanted to respond with just cancel my subscription, but instead I responded with just the word budget because um, I'm not feeling talkative. I'm pissed that I have to go through this. Absolutely. Uh, and they come back and they're like, I would be honored to offer you your exact same plan for basically they got me down to like seven bucks a month. and. <laughs> And and I took it because I, I absolutely because seven dollars
0: a month that's worth it. It
1: covers the crossword puzzle too.
0: Well, that's that. Okay, see, this is the thing: the crossword puzzle, especially if you have a partner who really likes the crossword puzzle. Man, they they used to sell that. I think they still do as like a subscription just on its own.
1: Yeah, they do, but it was included in the package I
0: had. Exactly.
1: So. And and you know, and I I was willing to get a subscription to it on its own, but seven bucks a month I can justify that. I read totally. just enough New York Times and do just enough crossword puzzles, so now it's affordable. But it annoys me that they have a special rate for people who want to cancel.
0: Oh, I agree. No, and 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 um, a lot of places are like this where if you call like cable is the same way. Like if you call oh, and cancel, like they for sure. they they will give it to you. But I've 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 run into this um. Okay, so my my thing with the Times, and this was like five years ago, but they had a deal where they had started doing in-app purchases, I guess, on the iPhone. And the deal was, because I think I still pay the same rate. Let me see what my rate for the New York Times is. Um, yeah, so I pay $120 a year for their digital all-access package, which is not as good as what you're paying, but it's $10 a month and like you, you know, completely... Um, like, like good. Right. Yeah. And, um, I had been paying, I think I was paying like $15 a month or $18 a month or whatever. And so I went through the same thing where I was like, okay, can I just switch my account over? Right. And they were like, no, you have to cancel and then sign up for a new thing. And I was like, okay. And when I was on the phone with them to cancel, they were like, well, we can give you this rate. And they were giving me like a better rate than, you know, like, uh, had been paying, but it still wasn't as good as like, the subscribing in the app rate, and so I was like talking to the person. I was like, "You understand that I'm not going to agree to keep my, you, like, like the email address I have attached to this account does not matter enough for me. You know what I mean? Like, like I will just create a new user ID. It's not a big deal. So I wound up canceling um, and, and resubscribing in the app. But the advantage of that is that five years later, if I need ever need to cancel my subscription. I can just cancel it in the app store.
1: Yeah, totally. Which,
0: which is nice. But yeah, but they do that. And it's frustrating that the magazine companies do it too. Like, I don't think that the New Yorker would necessarily give me a discount. Again, I subscribe to the New Yorker through the app store. The frustration thing there is that that means I don't get a tote bag, but whatever. <laughs> um, which you would be shocked how much money the freaking New Yorker makes off of their, just off of like the free Are tote you a
1: tote bag shopper. person? Do you ever I'm actually not- use a tote bag?
0: I mean, sometimes I have enough of them, and I probably have a New Yorker one, but <laughs> but the New Yorker, isn't, I'm not even joking, like, they've made shitloads of money just on people subscribing because they want the tote bag. Um, but yeah, but it's one of those funny things where, like, I think it was Wired, where they wound up giving me, like, a year for, like, $10 or something. I have to physically get the magazine. I also get the digital stuff. But... You know, I'll deal with that. I usually throw it away. Sorry to Wired, but uh, I don't. Yeah, I don't same. deal with physical magazines. But it was like ten dollars. I was like, yeah, okay, I'll I'll deal with that. But um, yeah, no, it's frustrating that you have to call to do that, and it's also frustrating they have the different things. But I guess it is one of those old lessons where like everything is malleable. I think that the probably the one company I don't know if actually they probably still have wiggle room too i was trying to think of like the wall street journal has a wiggle room they probably do have wiggle room but i doubt that it's as much as the times the wall street journal's always been like one of the publications i respect them and so far as they've always had a paywall and like it's been more and less porous at times but they've right. never been but they've never been like you can just go to to our website and read everything like they had a paywall in the 90s so um I, which i respect about them but their subscription is like four hundred dollars a year or something. um
1: i recently I my- subscribed to uh Jacobin, yeah, uh, you know, for my socialist reading
0: I was gonna say and
1: yeah. uh, and it's a quarterly, and the first issue I got came with a card that asked me if I wanted to pay for like like a two hundred and seventy five dollar donation right and- they would like, I don't remember what the deal was. They would like give a subscription to someone. But basically you're, you're showing support for for a socialist publication. But right. it was just funny because I'm used to Wired magazine where they're like, hey, give us five bucks and we'll send you another five years worth of magazines. Right. <laughs> and Jacobin's like, give us two hundred seventy five dollars and we'll give a magazine to someone else
0: right right yeah, yeah 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 uh yeah uh jacobin or jacobin or whatever. they're yeah, like yeah I, please, i'm please.
1: not sure how to say it yeah
0: I, I, i'm not sure either but they're like please yes i i need to have uh money please i give um okay so i um so deadspin uh rip um best blog ever i mean it, it still exists but it's scabspin now and fuck those people um genuinely uh who, who um work on it now um they started their own site defector and I, last year, gave them um, $1,000 um, as they were starting up um, to, like, be a subscriber. And I think that I'm coming up on, like, the renewal thing. And I think they're going to renew me for $1,000. And I feel bad because part of me, I'm like, look, I'll give you $50, $100, whatever, a year. I don't know if I want to keep giving them $1,000. Yeah. But at the same time, I want to support, like, independent media. So...
1: Um. Yeah. I, I, Like my brain went somewhere during all of this and it didn't come back. Like I had a thought and I was going to continue this conversation. Oh, well, you know, don't tell our other sponsors this, but you want to know who my favorite sponsor is?
0: Uh, text expander. Oh my
1: God. Yes.
0: I love text expander so much. Out
1: of all of the sponsors products that I use, text expander is the one I use the most often. With the most pleasure.
0: Yeah i I use it so much for so many different things. Like it's crazy. Um, I have. I mean, you do stuff like okay. How much of your stuff is is calling and executing scripts versus like doing um, actually like like expanding text? I'm just curious. Well, so I have
1: probably eight or nine hundred snippets total, uh, which is. Feasible because you can now pop up an inline search to find the snippet you forgot about. But right. I would say a good 25% of those execute some kind of shell script.
0: Yeah, I was going to say that's that's Um, I don't have that many, um, but I would say I probably have up with the same percentage, which is really nice. Although even in some cases, uh, it, it's if it won't execute the shell script, it'll like output what the shell script needs to be if i'm yeah. in a terminal situation which is really useful. And and i say that because you know it's cross platform which uh means you can use it you know on the web and and on on mac and on windows and that's useful because um although it's great on other macs to be able to execute like apple scripts or 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 shell scripts or whatever some of that can get kind of wonky mm-hmm. if you're on a non mac system whereas if i'm just outputting whatever the value of the of, of the script is um, so that I can put it in whatever command line I'm in, then obviously that doesn't matter. But it's so useful. Like I use it for uh, for tutorials all the time. And and like if I'm doing um, uh, live streaming or uh, like like uh, pair programming, or, or um, uh, I haven't done this recently, but you know if I'm um, doing live demos at a conference, I don't usually have the ability. Well, I mean, I guess I could memorize every single thing, but you know, you don't want to get like, you don't want to get a letter wrong when you're typing something out. Live in front of like four thousand people, and then all of a sudden, like your your script doesn't work. So having a text expander snippet that folds you exactly what you need it to do, and you just have to hit a couple of keys is the best.
1: Yeah, um, my, one of my favorite features that they added a while ago. Now it's probably been years, but they don't they never include it in like their sponsor reads. It's their suggested snippets. Like text is yes. already watching what you type. So it can detect like when you trigger a snippet and it can also tell you if you've typed the same thing, I don't know what its threshold is, but if it sees something three or four times, you're typing the exact same thing. It'll suggest you make a snippet for it and you can go into text expander, go into suggested snippets, find that piece of text, assign an abbreviation to it. And then in the future, you never have to type it again. And if you do type it, it'll remind you, hey, you have a snippet for that. It's, it's beautiful. Because once you have 800 snippets, it's really easy to forget that you already snippetized something.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree. That's really nice. That's really nice. Um, I also like the, the fact, um, I haven't done this as much, but the fact that like you can publish like collections of things that can then be updated.
1: Yeah. I just published one called cursed. I just published it yesterday. Actually. Uh, it's, I, I wrote it a while ago, but it's a JavaScript based, uh, s- uh, collection of snippets or uh, what are the snippet group, um, that you can add a snippet with whatever swear word you want as the abbreviation. And nice. then when you type that swear word, it outputs a string of random symbols. Uh, keeping like the ing or s at the end of it. So if if you write uh, uh, this fucking thing is bullshit, my snippets would replace it with this blanking thing is bull blank.
0: Oh, that's nice.
1: Yeah, that's available. That's really nice. uh, I, I'll I'll put a link to it in the show notes. But anyone can use that. You're welcome.
0: Yes, that's awesome. And so, uh, so TextExpander, uh, what else do we need to say about them? Um, you can go to TextExpander.com. Do we have an offer code yes. for people?
1: If you go to TextExpander.com slash podcast, uh, overtired listeners will get 20% off their first year of Text Expander.
0: Excellent. Excellent. Yeah, it's one of those services that, um, and we say this like genuinely, like, and we try to do this with most of our sponsors, but like we were longtime users before, yeah. They ever sponsor us. We will be longtime users if they cease sponsoring us. Oh, like, yeah. It's one of those things that, like, I will pay for forever because I get so much value out of it.
1: Yeah, it's really nice that they sponsor us because uh, it's a product I love. But yeah, it, I'm one hundred percent a sold customer. I will, I will never not use Text Expander.
0: Okay, so so that's an interesting segue. To one of the things that's been on our list for a couple of weeks that we haven't talked about. Oh yeah, yeah. So, uh, so one password. Yeah, yeah.
1: Everyone seems pretty pissed. Uh, yeah. So, if for anyone not following the uh, the uproar, One Password announced their latest beta is an Electron only app, and they're no longer making uh, native Mac apps.
0: Yeah, and I mean, it, it's still like, you know, they're obviously, it, it, or native Windows apps, actually, because the Windows app had previously Well, been that's the whole point of
1: going to Electron is not having to make platform-based apps.
0: Right. Well, yeah. Well, well yes and no, right? Because they still are doing native iOS and Android apps. Sure. But, um, but they they had previously been doing um, native Mac apps. Couldn't and
1: they make a Windows Catalyst app. version?
0: They could. I think that what they said was that the um, performance wasn't as good. <laughs> that worse than claiming. electron. Well, they were claiming that the Swift UI stuff was slower than Electron. Huh. So I I mean the, the the this is this is what um some of their engineers have said. But obviously people are mad about it because and I look, I think Electron is like I, I get why it's a joke and we can all make the the jokes about it, but I feel like yeah, a lot But of times, you love people, VS Code. I was going to say it's possible to make a good VS. It's possible to make a good Electron app. Uh Discord is actually a very good Electron app. Um there are some of them that uh and discord contributes significantly to the project but obviously it's going to be more of a resource hog than some other things like vs code i think is probably the best electron app um and, and shows what you can do with it but yeah it's not the same as a native as a native tool i feel like people use electron as shorthand and like assume everything with electron sucks it's, i think that's unfair but i also feel like there are valid criticisms for it like what? I personally don't think Catalyst is any better than Electron. You no,
1: know, I agree with that. Like my problem with both Catalyst and Electron are is like system integration. Like the yeah. a, a native Mac app works with yep. all of my tools, and and I'm able to integrate it with all of my other tools, and they can talk to each other, and I can use system services and text fields and all these things that make a Mac fun for me and right. electron defeats that it's the major reason i can't switch to vs code is because none of my non ide tools work in vs code and it 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 kills my flow um
0: right but right.
1: that said i really don't give a shit about one password being again. an electron app how often am i actually in the one password app
0: exactly Hardly
1: ever i'm usually using it through browser plugins anyway
0: right well, I mean, I think this is honestly the whole thing. And and I will say at least, and I haven't used the beta because they are apparently going to change this, but they changed the key binding and that's a deal breaker for me. What? And apparently like the in the key beta, binding you, can't you already
1: can customize.
0: Yeah. Apparently you can't customize oh. it in the beta. Oh. And so I, I've, I've been using, you know, command, um, backslash, yeah. um, for, I mean, that's, that is their key binding. Yeah. Like I have a t-shirt from them. Yeah. It has that on it. And remember, like literally, yeah, like literally, I have a t shirt from them that has that on it. Right. So, um, that is their key binding, but apparently they've switched to something else. I don't know if it conflicts with me. I don't know what it is. All I know is that they've changed it to something else. And I'm like, I'm not down with that. So I haven't used the beta, but I have looked at people like, uh, like my friend, um, Miguel, uh, de Queza, uh, creator of Gnome and, uh, very big Mac fan. Um, he was like comparing the, I guess, memory usage and some of the other stuff. It is weird to me how much memory it uses, and the fact that because it is an Electron app that they still have, like, this is a weird thing to me. And I don't know if it's a benefit of, if it's a requirement of Electron. I feel like they could do this natively. But the helper app that runs in your toolbar, apparently, like, there has to be a whole process for that too. Yeah. Which I felt like, I feel like you could make that native. I feel like, I feel like you could make that like in Swift or Objective-C and you wouldn't need to have like the full JavaScript power of like a full Chrome browser just to be in your toolbar. Well, like I when assume, the app is running, I don't care.
1: Yeah. Like the background processes that handle like all of the security and everything still have to be native to the machine.
0: Well, yeah. Well, the, the end is all Rust. But yeah so i don't i don't know i don't know all i know is that there are some performance issues people are complaining about i'm sure they'll fix them but in general i agree with you i don't care so much about my um password manager whether it's a native app or not if the thing if the tool that's running in the background is going to be using it more memory i don't love that but i'll deal with it but also in fairness i think Safari is potentially the one exception here although even there like they could they could bundle their Safari extension in a different way. Like it is it is a web service now. Like it is a full on like cloud service. It is no longer a local oh. vault where everything is done on your local machine. Like you have there are benefits from having it locally available on your machine, right? And and you can integrate that way. But like most people are using this in the web browser where it's accessing their vault, which exists on a server, meaning you know, I bet, I would bet that a lot of their users don't even use the app at all. They just use the extension. Yeah. So I'm with you. I kind of can't get into this super uproar. I get why people are mad because or not mad, but I guess sad.
1: Annoyed. Maybe, yeah, sad's a good word, but the rage is inexcusable.
0: The rage is inexcusable. Also, I think people who are mad about the lack of like, oh, I can't have, you know, like local vaults. It's like, yeah, because their security model and the stuff that they've done has changed. Like, they've been very clear. They're like, look, for us to do some of the stuff we do, we can't do it on the local side anymore. So we are. they are looking into a way where you could self-host um, vaults, which I actually like. Because in that case, if I wanted to have my own self-hosting system on my own home server where I still pay them and I had this as a backup or whatever, like, I actually... Like that as an option, but there are now server-side things that they're doing where they're like, "Yeah, we can't do this with the local vault model anymore. So you have to subscribe, and you have to use our, you know, um, our clouds to store your stuff." I trust them. I certainly. It's weird to me where people who are like, "I don't trust them," but yet they trust the encrypted file being stored right. in iCloud or Dropbox. <laughs> I'm like, okay, the file encryption's the same. Dropbox and iCloud are. Are are not going to be any more secure, in my opinion, than like the company whose entire business is going to be like relying on like we have to make sure like a they're probably using the same you know type of servers like Dropbox is not on an AWS anymore but but iCloud is right so they're probably still using AWS or something they're just managing all their stuff themselves so it just seems silly to me people who are like oh yeah I don't trust security and then they're putting it in a Dropbox folder
1: the, I sake. will I will like I I know. People who work sec- on the encryption and security side of One Password, and I, I trust One Password implicitly. They would, they would not take shortcuts that would in any way uh, endanger their user's security. If anything, it gets more secure over time.
0: Yeah, no, I agree with that, and and I know people who work on it too. I don't know them as well as you do, but I do know people who work on it. The one thing though, I think that at least for the Mac community, and and I would be curious in your feedback, I just feel like people feel like this is yet, this is yet another app that is no longer native. And I feel like people are mourning that because the Mac is no longer a platform that at least for native development, meaning Man. Objective-C, Swift, Swift-UI, it's just no longer a priority.
1: Loving, ma- Loving Mac apps is now the new like gray beard. Yeah. Like native Mac apps are for old people.
0: They are, and it sucks. And <laughs> it look, does I, suck.
1: I'm old now. I,
0: I, yeah, I know. I hate it. And, and I keep, but it's weird. I'm, I'm in this phase. I've been working on, I've been wanting to write a blog post for a long time. I've been kind of trying to like work it out. So I'll try to kind of work it out verbally before I write it out. But I've, I've had to come to terms with the fact that like the Mac as a native platform is, is dying. And I've been coming to terms with that for a few years, and it's really been upsetting for me. It's really been a challenge for me because I've had to start looking at the fact that there have been changes in direction of the Mac that I don't love. And, and there have been changes that like makes it feel less and less like the platform that I've loved and the customizability and mm-hmm. the, the native things. And like at a certain point, if the apps aren't native anymore, you start to ask certain questions like, okay, why am I on this platform versus this other platform that would give me the same applications and might give me more customizability, right? Like you, you, at least if if you're someone like me, who's like a longtime Mac user and has very specific reasons for using a Mac, the reasons that you use it, a lot of them are at this point either tied into the Apple ecosystem or kind of tinge with nostalgia. But one of the things that's been there has been like, you have a really, like as as Grouper would call it, like, mac assed mac apps right yes like really uh really well-designed mac apps and th- it was either gruber or it was um brent simmons who said that yeah, and i like, think
1: it was it was brent simmons
0: he was brent simmons okay so like
1: reblogged by gruber but
0: yes yeah originally yeah yeah uh all hail og um but like uh, the the good mac assed mac apps are few and far between now and that sucks and i guess what i'm coming to the conclusion with and, and i'm having a I've had a hard time kind of dealing with it, but I feel like I've almost, I'm, I've almost come to an acceptance phase. The web won. Like, yeah. for, we, we, can, we can argue if it's good or bad, and, and I think that Apple played a large role in pushing developers away from developing native experiences for the Mac. But the web fucking won, man. Like, it is what it is. Like, people, people hate Electron, but I'm like, yeah, the web won. You know, like if I primarily have a web service, what is what is in it for me to then spend the time and resources in trying to pin down a lot of other things in developing a native wrapper for that web service? Like, right? Why
1: well, and and if you don't have a web service, you you have a limited uh, limited usability anyway. Like right. you, you you have a, a more limited appeal. Like a web service is the key to. Uh, making a product indispensable. And yeah, no, you are correct. Want, oh, yeah. want to know what I did, though? Speaking of security and passwords. Yes, please. I can now authorize sudo with my watch. Nice. Yeah. what What's annoying to me about that, like, I'll put a link in. There's uh, uh, I had to find a, a build for the M1 because uh, different enclave i don't know but you have to build the pid module the pam module for m1 to get it to work but once you do uh you can anytime you type sudo and you have your watch on it'll ask you to authorize it on your watch and then it works but i there are still so many authorization dialogues on my mac that i have to type a password into what is it that keeps me from being able to have every dialogue work with my watch. Yeah. I want to, like, if I can do it with pseudo, you would think I'd be able to do it with, like, keychain.
0: Yeah, no, I agree. I think that, and I think there's technically a way to do it. I think there's stuff that Apple would have to expose. But yeah, I agree. Because one of the things that I do, like, like, um, so at work, so I use Authy primary, well, I use one password and I have my, okay, this is very bad. I should say this. I realize the opsec here is not great. It is what it is for the things where it is required to be good, then it's actually in one place. But in general, for services where I have two-factor authentication, I use Authy and 1Password. Um, Authy because I uh, I do trust Twilio to have stuff and it's encrypted, but I like that it's backed up and portable. I can go from place to place and 1Password because I like having the code stored in my password manager. But with certain things, like for my Azure accounts and my work accounts, I have to use the Microsoft Authenticator app. Yeah which is like a it is like a is similar to the Google auth app. Mm-hmm. Um it also can actually do backups or whatever too. I could use that for everything, but it's more convenient to for me to use my other things. What I do like about that is that that the the watch can be a designated thing. So if I'm trying to log into one of my accounts or whatever, I can get the notification up on my watch versus my phone to then approve and then it'll it'll do the sign on. Um, oh, that's the handshake cool. handshake in the browser. None of my
1: authenticators yeah. work with my watch.
0: Yeah, Microsoft Authenticator works with the watch, which is really nice. And um, one thing I do like about that app, uh, some of the other ones do this too, but I do like about it is that if um, it's like done correctly, like when I'm trying to sign in for something, a pop-up notification will come on my phone. Um, as I'm trying to log in, that says you need to approve this with Face ID or, or whatever. And then I can tap the notification; it'll immediately open where I need to be. I approve, and then I can go back yeah. to the web page, which is nice. But it's even nicer when it's just on my watch, and then it'll just pop up on my watch, and I can just like tap, and it's and it's there.
1: Yeah, I would love that. I have I have like four different uh, like two factor apps: uh, one for Oracle, one Google Authenticator, one that's specifically for my Synology and Authy, and. Like I have to keep track of which, which two-factor logins are hooked into which app, and uh, it's annoying.
0: Yeah, yeah. I have. T- I mean, I basically. I mean, I have four, but like, there's basically two, right? It's basically like the stuff that I use for my Microsoft accounts, and then like my consumer stuff.
1: Yeah. Um. Wow. So so it's been an hour. Yeah, we did that. We just so everyone who made it through this episode knows we didn't do a pre-show at all. We just we we picked up the phone.
0: We we winged it
1: and we're like, let's just see what happens. And then we did it. And weirdly, zero pop culture came up.
0: I know. I know. Uh, Next week, we will be able to talk about it because I'm I'm uh, I'm going back to 2005 this weekend. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so I'm I'm flying to LA tomorrow morning, and uh, I'm going to see Green Day, Weezer, and Fall Out Boy on a uh, Friday at Dodger Stadium.
1: Oh man, we might have to have Erin back for this top this conversation.
0: Yeah, I'm very excited. Uh,
1: so Erin's yeah, a metalhead, but apparently she has opinions about pop punk too.
0: Yeah, that's what that's what uh, uh I, she was saying, kind of in our doc. Yeah, this is good. So this this concert this is called the Hella Mega Tour. And it was supposed to take place in July of 2020 obviously didn't um, i'm uh I am sad that i uh so originally how this was supposed to happen, and I'm still sad about this, is that I was going to see Foul boy weezer um um and uh, Green Day on like Saturday, and then I was going to see Taylor Swift on Sunday.
1: right. I think you mentioned that, yeah
0: yeah and and obviously taylor concert was canceled and not rescheduled but this one at least uh my friend katherine and i are are going to go we've been like looking forward to this for like you know a year well more than a year and a half uh, because i don't even remember when we first got tickets we've we've been looking forward to this since like the begin, like the end of 2019 i think damn so yeah so i hope it lives up to
1: your expectations
0: Well, even if the concert sucks and I don't think it will, like, I'm just excited to to see Catherine because I haven't seen her since 2019. And so that'll be fun. And I'm just excited to, like, get out of, like, the, you know, the house, even though I know that things are getting bad again. I, I can't stay cooped up.
1: All right. Well, good luck.
0: Thank you. So if that's all. All, all that is, is preface to say there will probably be some co- pop culture um, talk next week because it sounds like I, it's I,
1: almost w- guaranteed.
0: Yeah, it seems like it.
1: I, do you want me to invite Erin back? I bet she'd love to come.
0: You totally bring her back, and and we can talk all the, all uh, all pop punk stuff.
1: We gotta talk about metal too, but you 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 don't like metal.
0: I I'm not into metal, but I would love to listen to the two of you talk about metal. I mean, I genuinely know jack shit about metal uh except that a guy dated freshman year of college was really into romstein
1: um (laughs) that's industrial Uh.
0: okay see so clearly yeah so i was gonna say and i i even knew that i even know that there's a distinction but yeah so uh (laughs) like like uh, yeah in industrial i can kind of get it to metal i think you know what happened i think it's just one of those weird things where like age-wise i just like totally missed the boat on it like so like
1: yeah, no. Let's have this conversation with Aaron because there is this this weird thing that happened to metal in like more in my lifetime. Like th- like there were only maybe four major genres of metal when I graduated from high school. And now they're easily a hundred. and it it's it's gotten highly specific and to the point where i I just can't keep up and I kind of give up. But anyway, oh my God. get some sleep, Christina
0: get some sleep breath
1: the system is going down now